Just like a pastor, it's only taken us six weeks to get to chapter three in Philippians. And um, we've been kind of running our, our way through verse by verse, seeing what the Apostle Paul, as he is pinning this letter to the church in Philippi, a church that he had planted 10 years prior to this writing. He had, uh, last week we learned that he had some friends that he wanted to send back to the church to make sure that they were taken care of. Uh, he sends Timothy and Epiditus, and he sends them, and he tells the people, these are the guys that everything I've talked about in chapter 1 and 2, these guys are an example of those things. Well, now Paul moves us into chapter 3. So this morning, we're going to look at Philippians chapter 3. We're going to be in verses 1 through 11. And as you are opening your Bibles today, what I want to look at is, uh, it's, it's not your resume that's going to really matter when you get to Jesus. It's not the thing that he's going to be looking at of all your accolades and all the things that you've done. This morning's message is going to require us to have some humility. Because humility is the starting point of salvation. Until you can humble yourself and look at the Father and say, listen, I can't do this. I have no power to do this. It's not by my own strength that I can do. I can only do this through you. And if you can fall into that, that point in your relationship with Jesus... This is going to make sense. If not, there's going to be a tension this morning that we're going to fight. So Paul says in verse 3, he says, In addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Not, not in your circumstances. Because you, how many of you know your circumstances change? Everything is good right this second, but all you need is one text message, one email, one phone call, and your whole world can be flipped upside down. So we don't find our joy in our circumstance. We find our joy in God. And he, and he reminds us, remember to rejoice in the Lord. To write you again about this is no trouble for me. This is a safeguard for me, is what Paul's saying. Like, I, actually, I enjoy writing this to you. That This is not a burden for me, it, even in my situation, because my circumstances, Paul's in prison. That's a circumstance. Not a good place. But he's not finding joy in, in jail. He finds joy in in God, and not only in his relationship with the Father, but in his relationship to other people, particularly the church here in Philippi. So what we're going to see in these next few verses, Paul is not going to teach them anything new, all right? He's given them a lot of stuff, wouldn't you say, in, in, in the first couple of chapters. Paul's given them a lot of things to try to consider, to think through, to live, to live out. Here, Paul's going to remind us of the gospel. He's going to remind them of the same thing that he's been talking about in the first couple of verses. So he says this, watch out for the dogs, all right? For you Georgia fans, that is D-O-G-S, not D-A-G-S. Every, every year when Georgia plays South Carolina, that's all I, you better watch out for them dogs. Um, we ain't worried about it. Uh, we ain't going to beat you anyway. We just move on to the next. We don't even count you guys as a team on our schedule. Um. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. Now, when we think of dogs, we just think of the cute little things that live in our home or in our backyards in their little dog pens, right? They love you. Every time I come home, my dogs are out. They about tear down the door to come to me. They want to lick you. They want to jump on you. That's not the dogs, the cute little cuddly things that sleep at the end of your bed or whatever you are, you know, that you buy clothes for. You know, y'all, those people, y'all need to get help. Um, the word dog was not associated with these kind things that live in your house. They're, they're talking about feral dogs, okay? I've been on a couple of mission trips where they tell you about all the things that you shouldn't do. 
And once one time we we're in Haiti and they said, what you're going to want to do is grab some rocks. It's like, okay, grab some rocks. And if a dog comes at you, throw it and hit the dog. Now, I know a lot of you are like, I can't. That is so cruel. Not if that dog comes at you ready to bite you because he's feral. Y'all know what I mean? Like these, these dogs are, they will survive on an apocalypse can happen and these dogs will still live, you know? And so you have to take a rock and you throw it at them to, to get them to go away to protect yourself. When Paul is talking about watch out for the dogs, it is a negative term. He's talking about the Gentiles and not just that they're cute and cuddly and wonderful, but they are feral and you better get your rocks and be ready to throw it at them. Or if not, if you don't protect yourself, they're going to come after you. So in the first century, the thought here is feral, wild dog that comes up into your yard. Think even rabid. These are dogs that lived among the trash. This is what the Jewish people thought about the Gentiles, by the way. That, that the Gentiles were lower than even dogs. And so he says in every epistle, Paul warns churches. And here he warns Philippi, you need to watch out and you need to be on guard. You need to watch out for false teachings. Now, he's not telling them that you need to watch out for the false teachings that are happen, happening outside of the church because the false teaching is not occurring outside of the church. Where does that stuff originate? It originates inside the church. He says, so you need to be on guard for what's happening and being taught within the body. The greatest threat to the church is not from the outside. The greatest threat from the church is from the inside. You, you got me on that. And Paul's warning them that you better be careful of what happens within the inside of a church. This is why we have elders. Our elders help keep the spiritual teachings and the theology on track and protect that at all costs because the moment that we move away from a biblical theology is the moment that we move away from being a church and we'll become like everybody else just a gathering of people that come have a great time hear some stuff sing some stuff and then walk out and Paul's saying we're going to prevent that from happening okay what the church in Philippi were dealing with was legalism okay there was this group called the Judaizers, and the Judaizers believed that Jesus did indeed die, and he did indeed be resurrected, and he was the Messiah. They believed all of those things, but they felt like that wasn't enough. So if I'm going to be a follower, i got to add something to that. So it's not just believing that Jesus is God and believing that he was resurrected. Now I've got to add something to that because it's just not enough and the thing they chose out of everything they could have chose was you got to believe that jesus was he died you got to believe he was resurrected and hey we're gonna have believe this that you if you want to be a part of this you got to have circumcision anybody nobody's showing up to that new members class if we have that and who's checking to make sure right that's what goes on in my head when i'm thinking about it and he's saying if you want to become like the Jew and have a relationship with Jesus, you're going to believe that he died, he was resurrected, and you're going to be circumcised. And then those are the things that, that they, added, they added on. You cannot add to the gospel, everybody. Doesn't matter what we do, we cannot add on to the gospel. The good news of the gospel is, is good news because Jesus lived a perfect life died a perfect death, and was resurrected from the grave, and we are saved and changed because of those things. Amen. So he says in verse 3, 
For we are the circumcision. If you want to learn more about that, just pick up Romans chapter 2 and, and have your mind blown. But he says, for we are, we are the circumcision. The ones who worship by the Spirit of God. We don't worship by circumstance or worship by the rituals of the things that we do. We worship by the Spirit of God and we boast in Christ Jesus. We do not put our confidence in the flesh. So he's saying, we're trying to get to heaven and trying to have a relationship with God by the things that we do. And so to put no confidence in the flesh. I put zero confidence in the flesh. I have a hard time remembering to put the toilet seat down. Anybody else? And yet I'm going to put all my confidence that I'm going to get to heaven. But I'll walk around my house for hours trying to find the car keys that are in my pocket. And I'm going to put confidence that I can save myself and I can change myself and I can be better and I can be a better person. Jesus didn't come to give you a better life. He came to give you true life, abundant life. And that's what Paul's saying here. He says that we worship by the Spirit. We, we boast only in Jesus and we put zero confidence in the flesh. That word boast means to stick your neck out a little bit. Be prideful. Paul's saying that, that we are the circumcision, circumcision of the heart. And we worship through the Spirit and we brag about Jesus and we talk about things of Jesus. We use Jesus' language and we put no confidence in the flesh. Here's the problem with this. The longer that you're in a church, you tend to take your eyes off of the cross and put confidence into your ability. A lot of churches start out strong and then they lose their way for this gravitational pull oftentimes away from the cross because we, we have a problem to where we will begin to put all of our confidence on our ability. This thing is growing because of what we're doing. My life is growing because of what I'm doing. And it's, we, we lose sight of what has already been done. And that is the, the cross. We keep scorecards. We keep scorecards for everything and anything that we do. We boast in our confidence and not in Jesus. Jesus plus anything ruins everything. Everything. Doesn't matter what it is. If you try to put something in there, it doesn't work out well. When you're cooking and following a recipe, that recipe is there for a reason. You shouldn't just add things to it or substitute things to it. Right? It, what's, what's, how's that going to turn out? It's not going to turn out the way you want it to. Right? Oftentimes, we find ourselves trying to add things to the gospel. And the gospel needs nothing more than Jesus. Because anything we add ruins everything. The full gospel is that God inputs you with His righteousness. In other words, He puts on His righteousness. He gives us His righteousness. And most Christians do not believe in a full gospel. That may surprise you. It's more than just believing that Jesus died on a cross. If you died today and you're standing there at the gates of heaven and the question is asked, why should I let you in? What would your response be? Because for a lot of us, the response would be, because I served in the church. I went to church. I love Jesus. I read my Bible. I've done all these things. And that's where it typically stops for us. Think about it this way. Imagine you have an enormous amount of debt, okay? You work for the federal government, and you're billions of dollars in debt. Um, 
you have this enormous debt, and you go to the bank, and you tell the bank, hey, we still good? Because I got some bad news. I just need to know where we stand. The bad news is, I'm not going to be able to pay you back. Like, it's not going to happen. There's no way possible that this is going to happen. And the bank teller looks at you and says, I'll be right back. And he goes and talks to the manager of the bank, and they come back and they say, hey, we got, got something for you. Good news. Good news is, we're going to erase your entire debt. It's all done. Wouldn't that be great to go home today, open your mailbox, and there's a letter in it that says, hey, by the way, your mortgage has been completely forgiven. You don't owe anything else on your home. That'd be fantastic. So if you go to the bank and have this enormous debt, and he says, hey, free, don't worry about it. And you walk out of that bank. Where are you when you walk out of that bank? Broke. Because you've got nothing. Even though that debt had been written off, you've got nothing. Because the reason you couldn't pay off your debt, because you had nothing. And so we walk out thinking, I'm debt free, I've got everything together, this is all good. But the, re the reality is, you are broke. You're broke. When you only believe in half of the gospel, you're broke. Because you can agree that the debt has been paid. We all agree with that. But if you're not living as if you're no longer broke, you're still broke. If you're not following Jesus, you are still broke. You can tell that you believe half a gospel if you say things like this, that God is a God of second chances. That seems innocent, right? But here's the problem when we say things like God's a God of second chances. You and I don't need a second chance at life. We did not do good with the first chance at life, right? We didn't do very good with the first one. We needed somebody to come and live the life that we could not live so that we could be everything that God had designed us to be. Like God credited our accounts from His bank deposit, from His account. He just moved everything over to ours and covered us. 2 Corinthians says it this way, that God made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we may become the righteousness of God. He took Jesus and said, Jesus is going to carry the sin, you're going to get His righteousness. Is that fair at all? No. That I'm the one that lived this life that was wretched. But Jesus took on my sin and God gave me His righteousness so that we could be righteous with God. When you understand that you'll never be able to boast in your own work, but only in the work of salvation, you will feel free. But it's only then and there. Because if you're working outside of that, it's a burden. And we were never called to carry burdens. Jesus says, my yoke is easy. It's light. The question is, are you working for something? Or are you working from something? Because there's a big difference. Would you agree with that? 
if I'm working for something, I'm working so that God will be happy with me, that God will love me, that God will shine his grace and mercy down on me, then, then there's a lot of pressure on my plate, right? Then all of a sudden I got to perform. And if I don't perform right, then God's not going to love me or God's going to punish me or God's going to do something. And that's the way we approach God because we're working for something. But when I'm in the presence of God and know him and know that the reason that I have what I have is not because anything that I've done, I'm not working for something, I'm now working from something. I'm working from the Father. And there's a big difference. Because now I can live out all the principles of the Scriptures without guilt and without feeling that I'm going to mess up and that God's going to hate me and God's going to punish me. That God is a loving Father who cares and wants to be in relationship with us so much that He would give His Son to take on our sins so that we could be considered the righteous. And God gives us that. And when we work from that, we know that everything we have, we have because it has been given to us by the Father. Paul goes on to say, although I have reasons of confidence in the flesh, and maybe this is some of you, this is some of me. It's like if he says, I have confidence in my flesh, there, there are reasons for confidence in the flesh. If, if anyone thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, it's me. So Paul says, if you think you have confidence, you don't have the confidence that I have. I've got confidence in the flesh. He says, I have more than you. That's Paul's humility. So Paul's going to give his resume. He gives his pedigree, his performance, and he says this, I was circumcised on the eighth day. That was, you may say, well, that's random, but on the eighth day is when the blood would clot, and so they wouldn't bleed out when they would be circumcised. And the seventh day, they had to go seven days before circumcision, so they would do circumcision on the eighth day. He says, so I'm circumcised on the eighth day. I followed that rule. I followed that law. Regarding the law, I've done it. I'm a Pharisee. I know the law. I've written the law. I've taught the law. He says, regarding zeal, I was persecuting the church. I was doing the work of what I thought was of God and regarding the righteousness that is in the law, and I'm blameless. Paul declared himself righteous. This is all pre-salvation, by the way. But Paul says, in all those things, I declared myself righteous. That's Paul's resume. He said, if you want to brag, brag, but I'm going to brag more because I can outshine you. But look what he says. He says, I can brag about race and my upbringing and my radical faith and my righteousness, but, but everything that was gained, that's plural in the Greek, everything that was gained to me, I have considered to be a loss that is singular in the Greek. Everything that was gained to me, I've considered that to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider Everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus. You ready for this? Look how he, he summarizes this, makes it personal. My Lord. My Lord. Everything I had, everything I have, I count this as a loss compared to Jesus. My Lord. The question that this begs is, do you know Jesus? Like, do, do you truly know, not about him, do you know him? Do you know his love for you? Do you know his compassion for you? Do you know how he views you as his child? Do you know him? Not, do you go to church? Not, have you become a better person because you're in a life group? That's morality, okay? 
Morality will keep you out of jail, but it will not keep you out of hell. And too often, we push morality and not the gospel. Growing up in student ministry and doing student ministry for years, one of the things that parents would always say is, could you teach my kids about sex and not to do that and not to drink and not to do drugs? I said, I'll tell you what, I'll do you one better. I'll teach them about Jesus because if they fall in love with Jesus, they don't want those things. Because I'm not here to teach your kids to be good moral stand-up citizens in our country and in our community. I'm teaching them to be citizens of heaven, which far outshines being a citizen of this community. Am I right? So I want to push them towards Jesus. Paul says, everything I count as a loss compared to knowing the surpassing value of knowing Jesus, my Lord. He says to follow Christ means that we need to repent of the things that we've done. He says to know Jesus surpasses everything else that the world has to offer. Doesn't mean you can't enjoy the things, but what he's saying is don't forget where those things came from. And those things are not anything compared to to what he can do. This is coming from a guy, by the way, that is in prison. I don't think the letters that we would write would sound like this, of counting it joys. So he says that we have to repent, which means to change direction. It means I was headed this way, and now I've turned, and I'm heading towards Jesus. There's, there's, a, there's a change. He says that you're not a mistaker who needs to try harder. You are a sinner that is in need of a savior. I messed up, so I got it. I messed up. I need to, if that's you, you're working for something and not from something. You're working for God and not from God. We not only need to repent of sin, but we also need to repent of our status that we've tried to earn and that we have to repent of our religion. The essence of religion is us saying, forget you, God, I'll cover my own sin. I got this. No, you don't. Remember Adam and Eve? When Adam sits there and watches Eve grab the delicious fruit off the tree and he lets her take a bite. And when he realizes there ain't a change real quick, so he grabbed it and he took a bite. The Bible says as soon as they took the bite and sin entered into the world, the first thing that happened, they realized, uh-oh, uh, you don't have any clothes on and I don't have any clothes on. And all of a sudden they felt shame and guilt. And the first thing they did, remember, what did they go do? They went and found fig leaves and they covered themselves. And God comes walking through the garden and he says, Adam, Eve, where are you at? Now he knew, but they were hiding in a bush and they came out and he goes, oh, you guys got fruit of looms on. You got some, you got some underwear and garments. How did you know? Because the first thing that Adam and Eve did was try to work from their guilt to cover themselves without God covering them. We, we try so often to cover, to cover our sins. Yeah, some people need to repent from sex, drugs, and rock and roll. But other people need to repent of religion because they use religion as a tool to pry on people, to oppress people. The moment that you think that your good works have earned you a right standing with God, that means that that's just rooted in our own pride because nothing we can do. It's a self-proclaimed righteousness. Matter of fact, Isaiah 64 says this. Isaiah the prophet says, all of us have become like something unclean. Some translations say that, that it's like a, a, a dirty garment, a filthy rag. Now, 
I'm not trying to get disgusting, but I do want to tell you the context and preach the Bible. That's not talking about an old washcloth. That's talking about a women, uh, women's menstrual garment. Okay? Did y'all know that? Sometimes that stuff comes at you and it's like, oh, okay. Uh, that's not what we learned in youth group. Um, they gave us bracelets one time. They were pieces of cloth and they had us when I was in youth and then we tied them around our wrists and that was the verse they gave us. And now that, that whole thing just ruined that whole thing. Um, but he says, all of us have become like something unclean. We've become like those things. And, and all of our righteous acts, all the things that we think that we, we do all these righteous things and it's so good. He says, they're like a polluted garment. And all of us wither like a leaf and our iniquities carry us away like the winds. When you know that you don't deserve any of this, it changes every single thing about you. Because in an odd way, there's a peace that Paul's going to get to because he's going to say it's a peace that surpasses all understanding. I don't have to understand this, that I have a peace, that God's in control. He says it's all about knowing Christ. It's not about your resume. It's not about the things that you've done. Look at Matthew chapter 7. Jesus says this, not, not everyone who says to me, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Did you catch that? Not everyone that calls him Lord is going to enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of the Father. It's more than saying, yeah, Jesus died on the cross. It's living those values out, following him. It's surrendering to the lordship of God of going, I believe and belief should cause movement. The gospel always demands a response. And he says, so not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven, but the only one who does will do the will of the Father in heaven. And on that day, you ready for this? On that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? God, didn't I prophesy? Didn't I do all these things for you? I prophesied, God, in your name. I drove out demons in your name. That's, anybody done that before? Anybody driving out demons? That's a pretty strong resume that I was prophesying. I was driving demons out in the name of Jesus. And he says this, and I did many miracles in your name. And then Jesus says, then I'll announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. That, that should rattle us a little bit. That should make us a little uncomfortable. These, you're going to get to heaven and you're going to start telling me all the things that you've done? You ever gotten in that conversation with God? I remember we were going through a situation and somebody just told me to tell God how I felt and I did and I felt good about it. But I also got humbled really quick because I began reminding God of all the things that I had done. Right? Like, God, you know the last time I had a Sunday off? I don't get a long weekend. Everybody else out on the boat posting pictures on Instagram. I'm not out on the boat. I've been slaving for you, God. I've done all these things. I've read my Bible. I've been baptized. I, I, I grew up and in, in, um, my dad was a Baptist pastor. We went to a Baptist church. I grew up on 2096 Baptist Road. I married a Baptist preacher's daughter. God, I've done all these things for you. But that ain't going to work in heaven. So if I'm sitting there at the gates and he says, why should I let you in? It's not going to be these lists of things. Because if I give him those lists, he'll be like, that's great, man. See you. I'm here because Jesus invited me to the table. When I didn't deserve it, he'd invited me to the table. 
Salvation is rooted in Jesus, not in our resumes. Not in the things that we've done. Paul goes on to say, because of him, I suffered the loss. And Paul had things to lose. He had social power he lost, religious power, financial power, educational power, family power. He says, I had all these things. I had everything that you could possibly want. But I count those things as, as loss. And all things considered them as dung. That word there is skubilon. Okay? Um, I grew up in Dillon, South Carolina, in the country. I learned to drive a tractor before I learned to drive a car. Right? We had some animals out there. We had cow fields. And there were these things that we called cow patties. Right? And for some reason in middle school, it was really cool to put a firework in the middle of it and then run. We were a special breed in, in Dillon. We also ran behind the mosquito truck when it would shoot the smoke out because that was awesome. Um, but we didn't walk through fields and be like, oh, I'm, I got some rubbish or some dung on my foot. We would call that something else. You know, don't say it, but you know what word I'm talking about? That's what Paul's calling this. He's saying your sin is like bull, scubalon. Like he, he gets down to the realness of this. It, it's the stuff you just step in. Like it does no good. And it not only affects you when you step in it, everybody else has to deal with it too. If you were sitting here this morning after stepping in it, everybody would smell it. And he says, I count everything as lost because everything has been considered like bull scubalon to me. Man, it ain't even worth it. And what kind of relationship do you have to have with Jesus to be able to say, this stuff doesn't matter? Doesn't matter. Because of my relationship with the Father. The key is, Paul saying that everything pre-salvation, he's counting as bull scubalon. All these things before Jesus, they don't even matter. And in one verse, Paul's going to give us the gospel. You ready? He says this in verse 8. Because of him, everything else has been counted as scubalon. But because of him, I've suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ. I will lose these things to gladly gain a relationship with God and to be found in him, not having a righteous of my own law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that is based on faith. The essence of the gospel is that Jesus wraps himself in flesh and he comes and he dwells among his people and he lives his perfect life. He never sins. And then he gives us the very life that he lived while he takes on the sin of the world on his shoulders on the cross. And then he yells out to Telestai, which means it is finished. And it's really interesting how this word plays out in the Greek language because it doesn't mean like right in this moment, this is it. Anything that's been done up to this point, this is it. It's talking about it's over, past, present, and future. It is finished. Which means when Jesus was on the cross and gives his life, when he takes on our sin so that we can be imputed with his righteousness, what he is saying is that is it. It is finished, past, present, future. You don't have to work for it. You have it. It is a free gift of God. It is salvation. Let's not work for it. Let's work from it. 
It counted for you. There's this moment when we're in Israel and we take people to the garden tomb. It's believed to be the place that Jesus was resurrected. And, And it is a powerful, powerful moment knowing that this one place changed everything. But if you take a 30-yard walk over, there's a parking lot with a bunch of buses. And up on that hillside right behind it, just kind of tucked away, is a forgotten place called Mount Calvary. The very place that the blood of Jesus was shed. If we were to dig, there would be traces of Jesus' blood underneath that place, maybe even the very nails that hung him and so many others that were crucified on that hillside. And when you're standing there in awe of looking, all you can think was, that counted for me. While all these buses are randomly parked at the foot of it, that's the place that we're to be, is at the foot of the cross in humility, surrendering our lives to God. That's the gospel. The gospel is not only does he die for us, he dies instead of us. And let me, let me help you with that. Had we been crucified for our sins, it would not have been enough. There would still be a debt. And if you want to try to pay for your sin, go for it. But here's what I'll tell you. The Bible is very clear. For the wages of sin is death. The price of sin is death. You can try to work for it and try to work your way out of it. And if you do that without Jesus, the payment's going to be death. But with Jesus, the payment is eternal life. It's been paid for. Anyone that believes that when Jesus was on the cross, you were made righteous through Christ will be in relationship with him. Romans chapter 3, verses 20 through 26 gives us full explanation of what Paul gives here in Philippians. He says, for by works of the law, nobody has been declared justified. By all the things that we're doing, we've not been justified or righteous. We've got to serve in kids, a serve in youth, a serve in the tech, a serve in the worship team, got to serve at the door, got to serve here, I serve there. Those works do not justify us. You know why we serve? Because it's a response to the gospel. When we say, I will walk back here, and even if it's suffering, it feels like suffering sometimes because you got to get up and you got to be here and there's a little bit of prep work in the, in the middle of it. Let me tell you something. What happens back there with our children makes a difference in their lives. We watched three of them baptized, giving their lives to Jesus. Would you say it makes a difference? That's what happens when you're working from something and not seeing serving in a church as just another thing to do but as a response to the gospel of using the gifts that God has given you for that to happen. Because it's a response from a place of knowing what Jesus has done for us. It's understanding that I've not been declared justified or righteous by my own being or my own doing. I've only been declared that through the things of Jesus. For by works of the law, nobody has ever been declared justified or righteous. So God sends his son in our place as our payment for sin. When we understand that, it drives our worship a lot differently than the things that we do when we just sit here and stare at a screen. It does. It should. It should. I would be so far from God if it wasn't for him right now. I would be so lost if it wasn't for him right now. 
There, there has to be a change and a drive. Like we, we see things differently because we know that instead of us dying, God took our place. And now we can have a right, right relationship with Him and there's nothing that we could do. Look what Paul says when he talks about the essence of salvation is God through Jesus substituting Himself for us. And he goes on in verse 10, he says, My goal out of all this, everything's rubbish, everything is lost. I'm not justified by the works that I do. He says, but my goal through all of this is to know Him Right? I want not know of him. I want to know him. If, if I, I know your spouses, but you know them. You should. <laughs> if you don't, you need to work on that. But you should know your spouse. I have friends. I know them. I know what triggers them. I know when they're not telling me straight that things aren't good. Like, there's a difference between knowing of and knowing. When I hear a noise in my car, I know something's not right. But there's some of you that would hear it and go, oh yeah, you got this problem, this problem, this problem. Well, how much is that? $40,000. It's a gift. There's a difference between knowing and knowing. And Paul says, my goal is to know him. The question is, do you? And I don't want to just know him. I want to know in the power of his resurrection. I want to know the power of that, that Jesus would be raised from the dead and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Paul says, if you want to gain life, then you got to give up your life. You have to follow him all the way to the cross. You have to be resurrected with the Savior. There's only one means possible. It is not to try harder. It's not to be better. It's not to work harder. It is to die to yourself. When all this life is over and we take our last breath, the only paperwork that's going to matter on Judgment Day is not your resume, but Christ's invitation. Why are you here? Because Jesus invited me. And that has changed everything. This morning, as we get ready to worship and sing about this hope that we have, I mean, without Jesus, it is hopeless. Because without Jesus, when this is, this is done, this is done. And we spend eternity away from Him. And, and it's not... Like we think of hell and, and just like fire and brimstone and utter darkness. Like those things are bad for all eternity. But the worst pain in hell is knowing. Could have done something on this side of accepting Christ. To keep, he was trying to keep us from that. The Bible talks about in hell being able to hear what's happening. And you not being able to respond to that. Jesus came to take on our sin so that we can have a relationship with the Father. I challenge you this morning a couple of questions. Do you know Him? Not about Him, but do you know Him? And are you working from salvation or for salvation? Because one's a burden and one's growth. And what is your response this morning?
What is your response to the gospel? It demands a response. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for the words of Paul this morning. As it's tough and we live in a world where we want to be self-sustained and be able to do things. And God, there's a dependency that we have to have on you, our creator. And I pray even in this moment, Lord, that you would humble us. There are things in our life that you need to break us. And I, I pray that we would be broken to those things. There are things that we're so tightly holding on to, whether it's relationships or our idols, our addictions, our jobs. I pray right now you'd break us of those things. That we're trying to work ourselves into a relationship with you and your words telling us there's nothing for us to work into. God, we just surrender because you have given us an invitation to sit at your table. I pray as we sing here in a moment, God, that you would reveal to us if we truly know you or not. And I pray that we'd ask ourselves, are we responding with our worship, with our serving? Are we responding adequately to the gospel message? And if not, I pray that there would be a repentance in this room that we would all repent and turn towards you and follow the things of Jesus. And I pray these things in the name that is above every name that will every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. That is the name of Jesus. Amen and amen.